Welcome to Revealed Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. This morning we're going to dive back into the book of Ephesians. So if you found Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verse 15, stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's Word. And let's take a run at this this morning and see what God has to say for us, uh, to us this morning. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, it reads like this. So see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Father, this morning I ask that you take this word and make it come alive in our hearts, that you Remind us of what you have done for us through your son, Jesus Christ. That you remind us that your word tells us that when we receive Jesus, we receive his wisdom because we are in him. And we recognize, Father, that he is all wisdom because he is the word. So today I ask this of you. You make very, very little of me, very much of yourself that you may be glorified this day. This we pray in the name of your precious son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. If you remember, if you've been with us, chapter 1 through 3 of Ephesians, we went through for a course of a year and a half or so, and we talked about our position in Christ, where we were theologically with God because of what Christ had done for us. We moved into the fourth uh, through the sixth chapter now, this section that we're in, doing the application of that which we learned in the first three chapters. Chapter 4, if you remember, started off, walk worthy. If you remember, walk worthy. We went through it for quite some time. It said, walk worthy in humility. Walk worthy in unity. Walk worthy as a new creation. Then we moved into chapter 5. Chapter 5, whenever we stepped into it, said walk as imitators is what it was really saying. Walk as an imitator. How do we imitate uh, Jesus? We imitate him through our love. We imitate him, by, imitate him by being light in the world. So we looked at walking in love, walking in light. But now we're going to look at walking in wisdom. Walking in wisdom. What is wisdom? You know, when I first read this, I had to stop and ask myself that question. What exactly is wisdom? We see in the world today a lot of people that claim to be wise. (laughs) Yet, after we look at the things they do, we realize they're really not wise. Some of the most learned individuals you will ever meet are some of the most foolish people you will ever meet. So we have to deduce then by by looking at at the lives of those around us uh, scholastically, some uh, pastors, some in our government, those who have really devoted their life to the learning process. We have to look at their life and, and realize, okay, if all this learning didn't make them wise but foolish, there must be something else that wisdom really is. Wisdom is not uh, learning and, and knowing all things. That, that's not what wisdom is. Wisdom is actually taking that which you do know and applying it. Wisdom is taking no matter what level of knowledge that you have and putting that knowledge into application. See, wisdom is not being the smartest. It's being the most effective with that which you have been given. Isn't that the Christian life in a nutshell? 
It really is, if you think about it, it's really the Christian life in a nutshell. And see, what Paul is, is building on here for us is he's building on that which we've learned, those thing, theologies, the first three chapters, as he starts talking about this walk and the different types of the walk of worthiness. He's building upon that. Now he's come to the point saying, see then. In other words, since you have seen, since you recognize, since you understand these things we've been over, walk like it. Take those things that you know and put feet to them. Put hands to them. Put your mouth to them. Let those things come alive in your life. He's telling us that it's not good enough just to know who God is. It's not even good enough just to know who Jesus is. If you know your Bible, you'll realize there are some that are going to spend eternity in hell that know who God is and know who Jesus is. How do we know that? Because hell was created for one person and his followers. It's this guy named Satan. Satan was in the presence of God before he was cast out. Satan knows who God is. Satan knows who Jesus is. How do we know that? He took him out to a desert and said, hey, I know the promises. I know the promises. You can stand on top of the temple and bail off. I know. Because if you jump off, God said, he'll take care of you. God's given you the power, Jesus, to turn that stone into bread and eat. Just do it. He didn't deny who Jesus was. So knowing God and knowing Jesus isn't enough. It's just not enough. We must live out that which we know about him. See, wisdom is the living out of that which you know. Paul uses this really neat comparison here of a wise man and a foolish man to demonstrate to us three characteristics of what it means to walk in wisdom. We're going to try to get all three of those characteristics in this morning. The very first characteristic that he shows us is we should have a desire uh, we should desire the wisdom of God. I ask you, do you really desire the wisdom of God? Not the knowledge of who God is, but the wisdom of God. See, he starts off there and he says, we should walk circumspectly. Some of you may have a different a variation in your Bible because you have a different translation. One of the words we would use today would probably not be circumspectly. That's a big word. Most of us can't spell me included without looking at it on a piece of paper. But another word that we could insert there is walk carefully. Circumspectly means to walk carefully. It means, it means to walk intentionally. To make your Christian walk intentional is to be accurate and precise in your walk. It reminds me of a passage over in, in Matthew, Matthew chapter 7, as a matter of fact. Matthew chapter 7. And there's a place that Jesus brings to light this particular circumspect walk. It's in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, and he says this, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. But look what he says, verse 14. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. See, to actually walk the Christian walk, you must be on a road that is very narrow and is very difficult. The ending of which winds up being life. If you find yourself on the wide road that's nice and easy, there's a chance you're headed to the wrong place. He says that we must be intentional for narrow is that gate you're going to go through. Narrow is the path that's going to lead to it. But at the end of that path is life and there's going to be few that find it. 
The idea that the world will be saved and all will come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, he shoots down right there. The fact that some say that God is love and would condemn no one to hell makes Jesus a liar. Because he just said there will be a few that wind up at the end of that narrow road to a place that's called life. If they wind up on the wide road, where do they wind up? Destruction, a place called hell. So Jesus himself said that if the, if the gate and the path is so narrow that few will find it, my question is, how can we find it? How can we have the wisdom to walk that narrow path? How do we get the understanding to be able to do that? I think it starts with desire. See, God comes into our life through His Son, Jesus Christ. He chooses to save us and saves us by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It tells you in the Word that Jesus is wisdom. Through Him comes the wisdom. You have all the wisdom when you're saved that you will ever need to be able to walk the path. The problem is we don't always apply that wisdom in our life. We don't always apply. And when difficult times come, if we're not careful, we try to figure it out and leave God on the sideline. And what happens? That's us stepping off the narrow path onto the wide path. Because God already has before us laid out a path for us to walk. He already has that path laid out, and He knows there are going to be difficult bumps. He said that. He said it's going to be a difficult path. He also tells us in His Word, and it promises to never leave us or forsake us. He promises to always be there. He promises to give you today what you need for today. So if you come up on a mountain in the middle of your path, He gives you what you need to cross that mountain. He's not worried about the mountain three days down the road. He promised today He will be with you. James actually gives us some indication of what it takes to to have this uh, walk, to understand what the walk is. In James chapter 1, he tells us something about this desire, (laughs) this desire to have the wisdom of God. In James chapter 1 verse 5, he says this, If any of you lacks wisdom... Do do any of you feel like you lack wisdom? James gives us the answer to the problem. He says, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. James says, if you don't have the wisdom that you need in the situation you're in or the, the life that you see laid out before you, what are you to do? You're to ask. You're to go to God and say, give me the wisdom. Give me the wisdom, but you have to be careful. See, oftentimes we ask for wisdom for all the wrong reasons. See, James points out very quick, if you don't have wisdom, ask. But if you'll turn over to chapter 4, he gives you the flip side of the coin, in essence, where where this can go wrong. In the fourth chapter, the second verse, he says, you lust and you do not have. Okay? He just told us, if you don't have wisdom, ask. Now he's saying, you lust and you you do not have. He says, you murder and covet and, and and cannot obtain, so you've got all these things that you're after, you desire, and you don't have them. It says, you fight in war. He says, yet you do not have because you do not ask. He's saying, you don't have it because you don't ask for it. If we stop there, we'd say, okay, he's saying the same thing. If we want it, we just need to ask. But look at the next verse. Sometimes he says, you ask, And you do not receive. You you desire it. You ask for it. You don't get it. But James just said, if you ask, God will give it to you. But look why you don't receive it. It says, because you ask amiss 
And what is amiss about your asking? <laughs> that you may spend it on your pleasures. If we're honest with ourselves, if we are honest with ourselves, which we should be because God knows your heart, you would recognize that you spend a lot more time asking God for things that are amiss than things that are within His will. How do I know that? We could write a book on unanswered prayers in our life. We really could. We could, ask, we could just write a book on it. Why? Because we desire things that have no glorification to God whatsoever. And we're quick. We're quick to fall on our knees and say, God, you know, I really would like that new car. You know, my car's not running really well. Or, you know what, God, I'd like a new job. This one's really about to kill me over here. Not thinking that God may have you in the car or have you in the job because that's the place that he needs you to most glorify himself. We're really quick to say, God, give me these. When's the last time you fell on your knees and said, God, if I have to suffer the largest trial that I've ever seen in my life for your glory, bring it on. When's the last time that we fall on our face and said, I'm willing to go to the cross just as Jesus did. If that's what it takes for one person to come to know him as Lord and Savior. See, we're quick to ask for the clothes on our back and the food on our table. How quick are we to ask that God do whatever He desires with us physically, emotionally, mentally, to accomplish His glorification in this earth? But see, if we don't ask with God in mind, it's a miss. And we don't get the answer to our prayer. Why? Because God's not a vending machine. God's not somebody you go up to and you pull the handle on the slot machine and out falls the blessing. He's left us here for a reason. That reason is to be glorification to Him on this earth and to spread the good news of Jesus Christ throughout all the earth. See, we must desire to be wise, but we must desire to be wise for the right reason. We're all here on earth for a reason. See, when you were saved, if heaven was the only reason you were saved, you have to ask yourself, why aren't I there? If going to heaven was the only reason you were saved... Why am I looking at you today? You see, we have to ask ourselves, what are we here? We See, we're here to do the will of God. That's always a big question. People say, how do you know the will of God? And the Bible's full of the will of God. And the will of God, in one nutshell, is that He be glorified in all that we do. How can we best glorify God? Uh, by His children desiring to be filled with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, and to go about doing that which Jesus Christ did. What did Jesus say He came to earth for? To give us all the things we wanted? No. To seek and to save that which was lost. You want to know why you feel like your Christian walk's not going anywhere? It's because you're not telling anybody about Jesus. See, Jesus came for one purpose. That you might have a relationship with God through his death, burial, and resurrection. He left you here after you came to that understanding for one reason. That your neighbor, your friend, your family member, your co-worker might come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. When's the last time you fell on your knees before God and said, Please, please, let us hire a new person at work that doesn't know you so I can be a witness of Jesus Christ in their life? When's the last time you're standing in line at Walmart and said, please, somehow kick the door open, God, so that I may tell this cashier about your son, Jesus Christ? When's the last time you're pumping gas and you look across the gas pump at the person pumping next to you and you said, God, give me the words to tell this fellow about Jesus Christ? 
See, all we're doing is saying, God, please let this pump hurry up. I've got to get home because I've got this to do and I've got that to do. We've completely forgot that God doesn't care what you've got to do. God cares whether or not that guy standing across from you is going to hell or heaven. And you may be the only one that ever shares the gospel with him. You want to know the will of God? The will of God's for you to show Jesus Christ to every person you meet, including the guy that cuts you off in line, the guy that steps in front of you at Subway and orders because he's in more of a hurry than you, the coworker that gives you a hard time, the family member that just doesn't like your ways. He wants them all to know Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. You want to know the will of God? The will of God's for you to open your mouth and tell others about what he did for you through his son, Jesus Christ. That's the will of God. See, it's really simple to know the will of God. And we should desire to be so filled with the knowledge of what God did with us or for us through His Son, Jesus Christ, that it just flows out of us to all of those around us. So how can God be best glorified if we do His will? I don't know if you've been on the Read the Bible Through program with us. But as I think about wisdom, I hope in your mind, as I said we were going to look at the walk of wisdom this morning, that a person came to your mind. I hope there's a person you've read about in just the last couple of weeks, three weeks maybe, that is the one person who wisdom seemed to just fall out of. Falls out of him in several books, but specifically falls out of him when he makes a request of God. Look back at uh, 1 Kings. We read in 1 Kings just a few weeks ago there in, in our Read the Bible Through, uh, and, and we're reading about all these kings that are, have come and gone in the life of, of Israel. We read about good kings, and we read about bad kings, and, and we came across this, this King David that the Bible says is, is a man after God's own heart. Yet we see this guy who, who uh, had relations with his next-door neighbor's wife and then, to top it off, had his next-door neighbor killed so that, so that he wouldn't get in, uh, have a bad reputation whenever he found out she was pregnant. And, and along comes this son of his that winds up getting the throne because of the things that David had done. It didn't change the fact that David was a man after God's own heart, but in 1 Kings chapter 3, we see the story of this King Solomon that comes along. This King Solomon, I'll read really quickly for you. In verse, uh, verse number 1 it says, Now Solomon made a treaty with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married Pharaoh's daughter. Then he brought her to the city of David, which is kind of interesting, to the city of David, until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord. And the reason being, there was no temple. It says, and the wall all around Jerusalem. So he's rebuilding the wall. It says in verse 2, Meanwhile, the people sacrificed at the high places because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statues of his father, except that he sacrificed and burnt incense at the high places. Now the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered thousands of burnt offerings on that altar. And at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask, what shall I give you? Let me ask you, if God showed up tonight in your dream and said, ask, what is it I can give you? What, what would you ask? Have you ever thought? If God just showed up and said, ask, and I'll give it to you. Look what Solomon said in verse 6. And Solomon said, You've shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth and righteousness and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, 
O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David. But I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Notice what he did. He told God, he said, God, I'm only in the place that I'm at because of you. You showed great mercy, great grace to David. Now you're showing it to me, but there's this problem. I'm just not worthy. I'm not capable. I don't know enough. You've chosen a group of people, and then you chose me to be over them, and they're so great, I can't even count them. What do I do? He goes on to say in verse 9, Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? King Solomon made one request of God. When he was asked by God, what is it I can do for you? He said, give me wisdom. See, Solomon had been put in place as king in place of his his father, David. David has been shown great mercy by God, uh, great grace by God. And he had been shown the mercy and grace because of his faithfulness to God. Solomon took the throne more than likely when he was in his 20s. So he's in his 20s. He has this whole mass of people. That he's now king over. You can see why his knees were knocking together. See, he knew that to lead God's people in God's ways, he would have to know and have the wisdom of God. See, his whole desire was to not lead them in his way, but to lead them in God's way. And it's because it was God's people. In verse 5, it says, So when God told him to ask whatever he wanted, he said, God... The one thing that I want is wisdom. Wisdom, so I do that which you would have me do. In verse 9 he says, So that he could discern between good and evil, between right and between wrong. He wanted to know those things of God so that he could point out and see what was good and evil. He wanted to know what the desire of God's heart was for his people. In verse 10 he says that it's, It says that God was pleased with his request. Wouldn't you like to know that if God showed up and said, I'll give you anything you want, that whenever you asked of it, it would say, God was pleased. I had to stop and think when I read that in our daily reading. I wonder how many times I get up off of my knees after being with God, praying to him that God says, I'm pleased. If I'm honest with myself, I think there's less times that he says I'm pleased than I think he should be pleased. I think there's more times that he's displeased with those things I have asked when I get up thinking he should be pleased. I don't know about you, but I long to please God. I want God to be pleased with me because of what he's done for me. Solomon made one simple request. Give me wisdom. Give me wisdom, not for my glory, God, but for your glory. See, we need to desire the wisdom of God, and we need to desire it for the glory of God. Not only must we desire the wisdom of God, but the second point that he makes in Ephesians to us is that we must discipline ourselves in the wisdom of God. I find it interesting. So many people today are displeased with how they are physically. Have you noticed? 
I d- just a little while ago, I ran up to the store to get uh, a monster drink so I could stay awake for my own sermon this morning. And as I was coming back, I passed these bicyclists in spandex just pedaling for all they were worth down the side of the road, getting their exercise this morning. It's oftentimes I'm up here and I see people running past or at the house or out walking. I see people lined up at the gym to work out. And, and they're so concerned with, with their bodies that they're dieting so uh, they can control their weight or they're, they're running and exercising so they can put their bodies in a certain uh, physical form. And we take all kinds of vitamins. My, my wife is like a stack of vitamins. She could be poisoning me and I wouldn't even know it. There's just a whole stack of vitamins she makes me take and we try to get well some of you try to get plenty of sleep so that you can be refreshed for the next day why do we do this to add five or ten years to our physical life let me break the news to you at the end of the day unless the lord returns every one of you are going to die whether you ride the bicycle jog down the road eat a hamburger or you live off a salad the bible says at the end of the day unless the lord returns we're all going to die does that mean you shouldn't exercise? No, I'm not saying that. Don't do as your pastor does. Don't eat donuts and ice cream when you're not supposed to so that you don't sleep all night long. Uh, you should take care of your temple, yes. But the question is, are, are you taking care of your spiritual body, your soul? As Are you focused on your spiritual body as you are your physical body? You know, we see people lined up at the gym January 1st because they said, hey, I'm making a resolution. I'm going to get in shape. When's the last time we had to turn people away on January 1st here because they decided they were going to get their soul in shape? They were going to get their spiritual life in shape. When's the last time you had to choose between going jogging or reading your Bible and you said, I'm going to die anyway. I think I'll read the Bible. You see, because these physical bodies, they're only going to last so long. Let me break the news to you. Your spiritual body... It's going to last for eternity. It's going to last for eternity. Wouldn't you like to know that your spiritual body was in shape when God looks at you? You see in Ephesians 5, it says there, See then that you walk circumspectly. That's that careful walk. That's that walk desiring wisdom. And it says, not as fools, but as wise. And it says in verse 16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. See, walk here is synonymous with this this living out, this movement, this doing something. It's not synonymous with sitting on the couch letting someone else do it for you. It's an action. It's not passive. And here Paul lays out these these two choices. These these two choices for how you treat your spiritual being. Are you going to be, as the the words there say in the original language, asaphos, which is foolish, or are you going to be just saphos, which is wise? It's the exact same word with an A. The I sound added to it makes it foolish or wise. See how he's playing these word games, giving you this picture. He says, are you going to be asaphos or are you going to be saphos, be wise? See, Solomon gives us probably the greatest discourse on wisdom that's ever been written. And it's actually over in Proverbs, which I think you're probably familiar with. Proverbs is right after you, you pass the, the book of uh, Psalms. You'll run into this Proverbs. 
And we call it just Proverbs. In the original Hebrew Bible, it actually is the, the Proverbs of Solomon is the way it's said. And in the second chapter of, of the book of Solomon, it actually is titled in my, in my study Bible, it says the value of wisdom. The entire chapter talks about this value of wisdom. It says this, and I'll read quickly because we're out of time. It says in verse 1, My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, yes, Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her, talking about wisdom as silver, and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is the shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the path of justice and preserves the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice, equity in every good path. Can you see from Solomon's request how God had blessed him to understand what wisdom was? Solomon's request to have wisdom had fulfilled itself in his life to such a point. He writes this, this whole chapter about this is what wisdom is. See, what he understood was that there was wisdom that could only be gained through knowledge of God. I ask you this morning, how do we gain knowledge of God? It starts very simply with knowing who Jesus Christ is in your life. See, the entire act of gaining the wisdom of God begins with the things we learned in the first three chapters of Ephesians. What Christ did for you. See, because if you understand what it said in the first three chapters, you will understand it wasn't just this physical picking up of a gift or, or this thing that you got that you added to other things in your life. If you understood what we went through in the first three chapters of Ephesians, you understood that you moved from this place that you were in sin into a new place, into Jesus Christ. How much wisdom does Jesus Christ have? All wisdom. Because if you remember John 1.1, it says He is the Word. The Word that you hold in your hand. All the wisdom of all the ages. The very words of the Father is Jesus Christ. And Paul told us in Ephesians that we are in Jesus Christ. If you want wisdom to walk the narrow path, to overcome the bumps in the road, to climb the mountains that seem so insurpassable, you must know who Jesus Christ is. Not that He's just the Son of God. Not that He was a great teacher. Not that He was a prophet that came. Not that He was a person that healed the sick and the lame. Not that he rose people from the dead. Not that he was a guy who could walk on water. For none of those things matter if you are not in him. Knowing about him and being in him are two different things. We'll stop where we're at this morning, but I ask you this question. Are you in him? Are you really in him? If you go to the beach and you sit in a chair on the beach, does that make you in the ocean or are you at the ocean? You're at the ocean. What does it take to get in the ocean? You must get out of your chair. You must 
walk across that scorching hot sand in the middle of August that burns the soles of your feet because we wear shoes all the time. We have no calluses. You must fight your way past the breakers that seem like they want to wash you back to where you just came from. This day and time, you'll have to knock a few sharks in the head that happen to be swimming by your feet. You have to get past the boogie boarders and the guys with the surfboards. But to really be in the ocean, you must get up. You must move from your comfortable chair, maybe under your shade, sipping your Diet Coke and eating your bonbons or whatever you may do. You must put your book down and get up and brave the elements. To be in the ocean requires you to do something. It's to move from where you think you're in the ocean to actually being in the ocean. Why do I tell you that? For many of us, we feel like being in Jesus is giving Him one hour a week, maybe two hours if we come to Sunday school and saying, we're in Jesus. <laughs> I was there. I went to church. I had my number counts on that board every week. We're, we run in 58 because of me. It'd be 57 if I wasn't in Jesus. I'd be home right now. Or we say, I'm in Jesus. I, I, I know maybe I don't tell everybody about it. I really don't want to get in an argument with them, but I, I'm in Jesus. If you're in the ocean, is everybody around you going to know it? Sure, all they got to do is look. There's Roger out there past the waves. Every night and I see his head pop up for a breath of air. But he's in the ocean. I can see it. Yet we as Christians sometimes want to be in Jesus. We just won't want anybody to know about it. You want to know why the world's in the shape it's in today? Because you won't get out of your chair. You won't walk across the sand. You won't fight your way past the breakers. You won't brave the sharks that could eat you because you don't really want to be in Jesus as much as Jesus wants you to be in Him. Why would God give you wisdom if you decide you just want to sit in the chair on the beach? Why would He give you wisdom for the day if the only thing you do for Him is sit on a green cushion on Sunday morning? See, He's going to give you wisdom when you desire to take that wisdom and change the world. This morning, I'll leave you with this question. Have you asked God for wisdom so that you can help Him effectively change the world you live in? See, Solomon, when he said, God, give me wisdom. He said, give me wisdom so that I can tell your people who you are so that their lives will be changed forever. This morning, I pray that your desire is for wisdom so that God may be glorified. Pray with me. Most gracious Heavenly Father, this morning... I thank you so much for the fact that you give us the promise that you will, in fact, answer our prayer. If, in fact, our prayer is for the right things, the right reasons, Father. And that reason is that you may be glorified in this world. How are you most glorified? It's when your kingdom comes down to this earth. And how does your kingdom come, Father? Every time a person comes to know your Son, Jesus Christ, as Lord and Savior, your kingdom on this earth is expounded. It grows. Father, even as I was preaching these words this morning and was studying, I was convicted by my lack of desire for your wisdom so that it would affect the world. But this morning, you know, I've already fallen on my face and repented of that sin, asking for your wisdom for one reason that this world may come to know your Son, Jesus Christ, as Lord and Savior. I pray if there be one within the sound of my voice that doesn't know your Son, Jesus Christ, as Lord and Savior, that today they gain the wisdom 
of you by accepting your Son Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, admitting that they're a sinner in need of a Savior, confessing to you that they have sinned, and receiving the free gift of salvation through your Son Jesus Christ. If there be one here this morning, Father, you draw them to yourself as only you can do. Maybe this morning there's one here that knows your Son Jesus as Lord and Savior, but they also realize they haven't desired your wisdom because they're comfortable. They're comfortable right where they're at. They're comfortable with the routine. They're comfortable with how their life is going. This morning, Father, I ask that you make them very uncomfortable. You do as the bird does to the small chicks in the nest. You start pulling out the feathers so that the thorns stick them until they finally desire to get away from the thorns so badly that they'll fly on their own. This morning, you make them uncomfortable to the point that they fall dependent upon you and ask for your wisdom in their life that you may lead and direct them wherever you would have them go, whether it be to the top of the mountain or the lowest valley. We realize if we walk that path you have laid before us, it ends in a place that is life, life eternal. Maybe this morning, Father, there is someone here that is so burdened by a friend, a family member, a neighbor, a co-worker that doesn't know Jesus. Maybe this morning they just want to come and ask you to give them the wisdom of how to share the good news of Jesus Christ with that person that they may come to know your son Jesus as Lord and Savior. Father, you lead and guide this morning in our invitation as only you can through your perfect will. This we pray in the name of your precious son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.